And as we ask for miracle submissions from you uh, all, there's one really that stuck out in this, and it's interesting. I'll read this for you. Um, I have a, a story as well that's almost identical to this. But this is from Dave and Pris McCown as they recount a miracle in their life. And they were on a trip to Texas, and pulling their fifth wheeler and looking for an RV park where they could leave their camper for three days while they were visiting some relatives in Dallas. And they located a park, paid the rental fee, and received instructions on where to park. And as was their usual manner in parking, Pris was outside giving hand signals where to back in for Dave. And she was not aware of a live electric wire that was hanging over the top of where they were going to park. And seemingly out of nowhere, a man shouted for Dave to stop. And he warned, if you park under that wire and get out of your truck and touch the ground, you will be electrocuted. And he suggested then to park in the next space over as it was unoccupied. And after doing so, the man disappeared quickly. And neither of them saw him leave. And after they parked, Dave got out and asked the people next door, or next campsite over, who were watching this whole thing, if they had uh, seen the man, because they wanted to thank them, thank him. And they replied that they had not seen or heard anyone other than Pris giving parking directions, that this man, as quickly as he appeared, had disappeared. And it was one of those moments that they were thinking, is this an angel? Is this a miracle? And God had delivered them and spared them from that. Uh, problem. You know, the same thing happened to me uh, when, when, we, when I grew up, we went camping just about every weekend, and we'd hit all the state parks and everything around, and one time, uh, I was eight, my brother was ten, and he had found the keys to the ignition of the van, and just, he didn't quite turn the engine on, but he had it on, he's playing with the shifter column, and he's in the van by himself, and I remember he, he got it into neutral, and we're parked on this really large hill in southeast Minnesota. And the van begins to roll down the hill, and it would have been very bad. And out of nowhere, both me and my dad see this man run in, put it into park, and run off like a, like a flash of lightning. And to this day, we still don't know where this guy came from and how it happened. But I think all of us have these kind of stories when we reflect on this. And these moments in your life of how was I spared from this impending doom, and, and God delivers you without even knowing how it happened. And that's exactly what we're going to be studying today, as we study this Red Sea miracle. And this, this instance is found in uh, the book of Exodus 14, and I encourage you to start more, making your way there today in your Bibles or on your phones. It's so much text that I won't be able to have it up on the screen, so I, I do encourage you to follow along in your own book. Uh, but this is, again, probably the most well-known miracle in the Old Testament, that the whole nation of Israel had just been released from Egypt and generations of slavery there. They're following God's direction, and they find themselves in a really difficult spot. And this is just moments after kind of the knockout punch, the tenth plague in which God took the firstborn child of each family. He spared all of Israel but the Pharaoh lost his son. And this is finally the moment for Pharaoh. He said, all right, I will let the people go. And they're traveling along, and they find themselves kind of butted up against the Red Sea. And they're probably already thinking, okay, God, did you take a wrong turn? Like, we can't get across this Red Sea. 
Now Pharaoh changes his mind, and he sends all of his army, all of his finest chariots and all of his army to go get the Israelites and bring them back into Egypt for slavery. And they find themselves pinned in this spot with no hope. But God is about to deliver them and save them from this terrible situation through his miraculous power. And that's exactly where we're going to pick up here as the army is now closing in on these people pinned by the Red Sea. And what I'm going to do is break this into three overarching parts rather than reading all of it at once. And each part is centered around a promise that we need to remember as Christians. And with those promises, we have lessons that we can learn from this story. And the first is this, as we read the first ten verses, is that God will always be with you. Okay, there's times where he's going to feel far from you. But you have to remember his promise that he will always be with you. So let's read the first 10 verses now, starting in, in uh, 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. I think we've all been in those situations before, not exactly like this, but those moments where you feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. And even if you're following God, and again, if you remember in this story, there's this pillar of cloud and fire that immediately upon exiting uh, Egypt, God is leading them through the desert every step of the way, and all they have to do is follow God. And now they find themselves in this position that before them, This impassable Red Sea, and behind them is the most powerful army in the world. And they're probably saying, God, what are you doing? And the first lesson we have to learn from this is that God knows exactly what he's doing. Nothing is a surprise to God, and nothing is an accident when you follow him. So we have to build this level of trust that what he's doing is exactly what he's supposed to be doing, even when we don't understand it. And again, these these people, this is roughly two million people, uh, the Israelites, are outmatched in every single metric. Okay, Maybe not in numbers, but 
But the Pharaoh is sending his 600 best chariots and all the other chariots and the whole army. It's probably thousands or tens of thousands of well-armed and well-trained soldiers descending upon them. So they got the advantage of the high ground and they're probably surrounding all of this nation in front of this sea. So this hopeless position, pinned in low ground, poorly armed, untrained, unprepared, and their eyes are wide with terror. And just days before, they had this moment of elation of finally being set free from the bondage of Egypt. And now it's being undone, turned on a dime. This triumph is is turning into accusation and sarcasm. And in fear, they cried out to God. At least they cried out to God, right? That's the first step. They went to the right place, but in the wrong way. They're crying out in a way that's giving blame. And it's a moment of, God, you led us here. So if I'm going to blame anyone, I'm going to blame you. And then they start to blame Moses. And there's this moment of, they were all following Moses with great hope and trust. And then all of a sudden, it's, who is this guy? Do we even ask for him? Do we even ask to be let out of Egypt? And it's this classic moment of what we call recovered memory or revised history. And this is common when people are in a place of stress or worry. They kind of change the past to create a narrative for themselves that's some sort of comfort. And in this, they're completely exonerating themselves from this mess they're in. And they said to Moses, we never even wanted to leave Egypt. We never asked you to save us, which is all false. They had been praying for deliverance for generations. And they had trusted God and trusted Moses up to this point. And so suddenly when this hardship is encountered for them, this is their first real hardship after they had been released from Egypt. The miserable past suddenly looks like the good old days to them. They're not trusting God. What we're seeing here in these verses is the symptom of a hopeless person. There is no hope in the future for them. All that is before them is death in the ocean or death by the armies, and no other option. So if there's no hope in the future, the first thing you do is relive the past. And that's often what we do in hardships. But for the Christian, you have to understand that the future is always more hopeful than the past. And that doesn't mean that you'll never have hardships. They would have many hardships after this throughout the desert. But ultimately, the future is going to be better than the past in every single situation. When you believe that God knows what he's doing and you trust him. And that's really the sad part of this whole story is is those verses that they're about to experience the greatest moment of deliverance in the history of Israel, before or after, that the whole country would be spared and saved. But all they could imagine about the future was death by one route or another. You have to trust God when you understand he's always going to be with them. He knows what he's doing. Because as they see next, the lesson is that when we are powerless, when we are weak, God fights for us. 
And really what this is is a moment of this whole country realizing that in their own flesh and in their own power, there's no chance. They can't swim the sea and they can't fight the army. But in our weaknesses is when God illustrates his strength. And so Moses in verses 13 and 14 illustrates two important things. He reiterates God's promises in verse 13, and then he illustrates God's power in verse 14. So earlier in this story, in verses we didn't read, God kind of gives them the whole playbook of what's going to happen. He says that you're going to be set free. The Egyptians will pursue you, but I will overpower them, and everyone is going to know that I'm God. Moses and Israel have been told this already, but now Moses is restating these promises to the people. In verse 13, when he says, Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see right now, you will never see again. That's an important part for us as Christians when the going gets tough is to remember God's promises. And it's one thing to know all the Bible verses in Sunday school and Awana, and, but then when it's actually difficult, you have to remind yourselves of the things you already know. That's also an important point for the rest of us as Christians, is when you see someone going through a hard time, remind them the promises of God. Believe them and trust him. So he, he tells them about God's power here, is that all you have to do is be still. God will fight for you. And this is a beautiful point to come to as a Christian, is to understand and accept your own weaknesses. If you try to fight all the battles in your life in your own strength, you quickly realize and discover how weak you actually are. And if they had tried to swim the sea or fight the Egyptians, they would have died. But all they had to do was be still, that in their Weakness, God's strength would be displayed. And that's the perfect bookend to the story, actually. The whole reason that the Israelites became slaves is that the Pharaoh was concerned about their power as people. If you remember the story here, they came to Egypt during the time of famine when Joseph was second in command in Egypt, and they, they were welcomed as guests. They were never intended to stay but they decided to stay, and they kept growing in numbers and, and, again, became into the millions of people that were living in Egypt. And then a later pharaoh said, they're getting too strong, and so we need to subjugate them into slavery so they won't rise up against us. So Egypt had always been afraid of their power as people in the flesh, but the reality is they had very little power, and Egypt could have wiped them out. The true strength of God's people is God. And the same is true for us, that when you come to the point of understanding your weaknesses, that's when you are the strongest. And God will put you in moments that forces you to know, I can't do this on my own. And that's when you become strong. That's why we can boast in our weaknesses. Because when we are weak... God is at his strongest, and that's what happens here. 
They were powerless to fight. They only needed to stay still, and God would do the battling. And all of this would be for his glory. And then we see that God will stand between you and the enemy. This is in verses in 19 and 20. I'll read those now. The angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud broke darkness, cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. This in itself is a miracle within the miracle. So this angel and this pillar who had been guiding this whole nation in a moment switched from guide to guard. And these, these armies were descending upon this nation that in moments they would have been just completely decimated. But now God had created this barrier of protection between the enemy and his people. And as you read this, you understand that something more miraculous happened that this was now in the middle of the night. And he had really made one side of this, the Egyptian side, dark, but the Israelite side was as light as day. That he he lit up the, the night for them because I believe that he wanted them to see exactly what was coming next. He wanted them to know that he was God. That he would lead the way for them and protect them Along the way, God will stand between you and the enemy. So we will read the next portion of text and understand this next important promise, which is that God will always guide you. It might seem like you're wandering aimlessly. It might be confusing to you, but God will guide you every step of the way. So let's read now verses 21 through 25. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. You're going to have moments in your life where you feel stuck You feel alone. You're going to wonder why God is bringing you where he is. And you may question if he's even there at all. But God is with you and God is guiding you along the way. And so on one side of the Red Sea, Israelites felt completely abandoned and alone. On the other side where God would take them, they were completely delivered from their problems and experienced the freedom that only he could give. And maybe you're on the wrong side of your own Red Sea today, but stay encouraged because God is guiding you no matter how impossible it feels. And the lesson we see from this is that God can make a way when there is no way. 
Nobody thought that what happened here was an option. They only believed the two options in their mind, and this would have shocked them. But as we understand through the series, what we see as obstacles, God doesn't see as obstacles. Nothing is impossible for him, and what's impossible for us is easy for God. Everything is easy for God. And here he illustrates his power and his creativity. When he assured his people, don't be afraid, stand firm, you will see. This is what they saw as Moses stretched out his arms and this famous miracle happened that all through the night this east wind comes along and splits the sea in two so they could walk through it. There's this important uh, context here. For the Hebrews, the sea represented nature's most powerful force. It was terrifying to them to think about the sea. So in front of them, they had nature's most terrifying force. Behind them, they had earth's or people's most terrifying force, which is the Egyptian army, the strongest in the world at that time. But God made a way when there was no way. And that God that performed this miracle for them is the same God that we know and worship today. God has not changed. God will make a way for you. And I'm not saying that if you need to cut through Lake Minnetonka, you should start driving your car into it, right? But whatever Red Sea moment you're having in your life, you are not trapped. And there's a way out of your situation. And we can look at it through our own eyes and study the situation from every angle, Run every scenario, and you check and double-check your figures, and as far as you can see, there's no way out. You're stuck. You can't go forward. You can't go backward. So what do you do? You wait for God to make a way. And understand that just because you feel trapped by your circumstances, God is not, and he can do the impossible. He will guide you, so you need to be ready to move. And that's the second lesson of this promise, is that God desires both our faith and our obedience. And I want you to think about what these Israelites were seeing as the waters parted and it became like walls on their right and their left. Again, nobody thought this was going to happen. And so this was shocking for them to see. But the word for walls here is actually the same word that they use for like the walls of Jericho. And it means tall and daunting. This, this is something that was scary and dangerous to walk through. And just like Peter was asked to take a step out into the scary waters of the boat, now the whole nation of Israel is asked to take the scary step through this parted sea. God created the passageway, and now they had to walk in faith and obedience. And the amazing happened as they did that. The seabed was bone dry. They didn't even get muddy shoes as they walked through the middle of the sea. And this is where faith and obedience work together, and they also pay off. When you're trapped by your circumstances, God will make a way when there is no way, but you need to have both faith and obedience to walk through the path he creates for you. In other words, when God opens a door in your life, you have to be willing to walk through it. And this might require making some hard decisions, taking risk, feeling uncomfortable, sacrificing something. 
Maybe confessing your sin, seeking reconciliation with another person, and humbling yourself before God. But God never promises that the path he has for you will be easy. But he does promise that it will be possible, and it will be worth it. You have to walk in faith, in obedience. And it may not be the path that you asked for or prayed for. Now, certainly, God could have just picked them up from one side of the sea and put them on the other. It was not out of his power to do so, but it was out of his will. Because he's going to be illustrating for them in another important lesson that we need to remember today. That the sovereignty of God will always be greater than your problems. Now, he's using this moment not only to help them escape their problems, but to eradicate them altogether. And this means that sometimes God doesn't take the fast and easy route in your life. This whole story started with them taking the long way. Now, out of Egypt, the most direct route to the promised land would have been a week, two, maybe three But he told them in in chapter 13 that if I take you through Philistine country, you're all going to get scared and you're going to run back to Egypt. He put them in a position that they had nowhere else to go but forward in the path that God created. And in that, they saw the great power and the sovereignty of God. That God made himself known to both the Israelites and the Egyptians. And the Egyptians who did not fear God, they had no faith, they hated God enough to cross in that same path. They weren't walking through fear, they're walking through faith, they're walking through hatred of God and his people. And so he threw them into confusion, we read in verse 25, he jammed their wheels, and suddenly they realized, this guy is for real. This God is for real, and I think we made a mistake, and they tried to escape from this situation. God was going to deliver his people and make it very clear that the troubles were behind them soon. And it illustrates for them the same it illustrates for us. God is sovereign. And no matter how big this problem you're facing may be in your life, God is bigger. All you have to do is believe and walk in obedience. As we conclude the miracle today, we understand a third important, most important promise in this, that God will always deliver you. Even if for a time you don't believe it or you don't understand how God is faithful to deliver you and save you. We'll read the last handful of verses here in this conclusion, verses 26 through 31. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left 
That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. As we sang earlier today, our God saves. Our God is a God of deliverance. And he didn't just guide the people away from the problems. He delivered them from the problems. They were no longer on the run. What we understand as a lesson here is that when God sets us free, he really sets us free. And again, this is a moment that there is no way this could be taken as coincidence, that in the same way Moses stretched his arms out for the seas to open, Moses stretched out his arms for the seas to close. And I think without that, you might assume maybe God just kind of like was holding him open and he ran out of power and it closed in, or maybe this is all some circumstance. But it was clear that God was working through Moses and that he had really set his people free. And so there they were standing on the other side of the Red Sea, looking back in complete freedom. The entire army of Pharaoh had been swallowed by the sea. No more battle. The war was over. And they were freed from their greatest earthly threat that they had faced. This is really emblematic of all that God does in our lives, that we can be spiritually set free. And if you read this and say we'll never have any problem in life, you know that's not going to be true. But when God sets you free from your sin, you are really free. Jesus said it better. He said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, just like Israel was a slave to Egypt. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the truth we can live in today, is that we are no longer shackled by our sin, that when we're set free, we're really set free. And there's no need to look back anymore. That the problem that once controlled you is gone, and the power of God is greater. And we see kind of a morbid verse, uh, verse 30. I'm going to read that here. That the day of the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on shore. And you might read that and be like, that's kind of too much information, God. We didn't know that. We could have assumed that. But this is really important, because now the evidence of their freedom was undeniable. They don't have to wonder if some of these Egyptians maybe swam back to the other shore and they're still hanging out there somewhere. They don't have to wonder uh, if not all of them made it in. They're, they were dead. They were gone, and they saw the evidence right before them. You know, that's a lot like how we live in our freedom today. Is that the person you used to be before God set you free is so different from the person that you are now that it's undeniable. You can see it. Others can see it. And there's changed lives here, to more, here this morning. I, I know many of your stories, and I've seen, for many of you, the transformation that Jesus is continuing to do. The evidence becomes clear. And I had the joy of, of meeting a man yesterday at um, Cheryl's brother's funeral. 
who very joyfully shared his story, that a number of years ago he, he came to faith in Jesus. And he knew the man that had, uh, had, had, uh, had died, Cheryl's brother. And he said even, even Vernon had seen him change and, and that he used to be the addict with the anger issues and he was a bad co-worker. And, and there he was with one of his co-workers and he's talking about this change and the co-worker just kind of jumps in and he's like, it's true. I saw it. And he's just completely different now than he used to be. And I'm not even sure if he was a believer. He was like, but it was because of Jesus. And that, that same story is written into all of us, that the evidence of our freedom becomes so undeniable that you look at it and you know it's true. That when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come and there is no turning back. And the last point is, is kind of a quick one here. And that is when you understand that God is most powerful, he is also most worthy of our reverence and worship. And I make this point because there's a subtle, um, subtle point in the text here you may not see. But when you read the word hand in the Bible, this comes from a Hebrew word that also means power. It illustrates the power And in verse 30, it says that the day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of Egypt, that that day he saved them from the hands of Egypt. Now, for Israel, Egypt represented the greatest power over their life, that they were subjugated and enslaved to these these people of Egypt. There's no escaping them. And even in this moment, they were still powerless against this great power of Egypt. It was the greatest power in their life. But as you read on in verse 31, and then the Israelites saw the mighty hand or the mighty power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. And this is saying God's power is even greater and mightier than what they thought was the greatest power in their life. And no matter what you're being held down by, no matter what you feel trapped by, God is more powerful. And when you recognize that, you understand that he is also then most worthy of your reverence and worship. You don't have to be a slave to fear anymore. You don't have to have these problems controlling your life. And worry itself is just this worship of your problems. It can consume every part of you. But when you understand that God is more powerful, he is worthy of your reverence and your trust and your worship. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what we're going to do as I invite the worship team forward, is that they put their trust in him that day. And the whole, almost all of the next chapter that we read is is this nation of Israel now worshiping God in their freedom and exclaiming that God is God, that God is most powerful. And if you are in Christ today... You are no longer a slave. You're just like this whole nation of Israel who had been set free, and you are now free indeed. That Jesus is your great deliverer who came to set you free from whatever is trapping you and enslaving you. You are not a slave. You are a child of God. And there's no reason to be consumed by fear in your life when you are a child of God. You remember that he's always going to be with you. 
that he makes a way when there is no, no way, that he, he guides you through a path that all he asks you to do is walk in it. And it leads to this, this significant freedom, this miraculous freedom, that the same miracle that happened to this nation thousands of miles away and thousands of years ago is actually even greater in everyone today who is in Jesus. See, they were set free from their earthly bondage just to go on and and see a lot more troubles and issues. But in Jesus, we have the ability to be set free forever from our spiritual bondage. We're enslaved to nothing in this world, and when we are free, we will always be free. And so there's nothing to fear but God and to revel in Him, His freedom, as we worship. Let's stand together as we close in song.